Welcome everybody to our Thursday afternoon webinar brought to you here live from Jerusalem by the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem. I'm Jürgen Bühler, I'm your host and also your speaker today at this uh, webinar. And uh, we have been starting last week on Thursday a series on the fall holidays in Israel. You heard an excellent talk about uh, the Rosh Hashanah celebration, the celebration of the biggest new moon, uh, the beginning of the year by Moimir Kalus. If you have missed that uh, seminar and that lecture, I encourage you to go to our YouTube channel and to listen to this very important lecture, the lecture that will help you to understand the significance of the biblical feasts. I'm going to speak today about the significance of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. You can call it the most holy day in the Jewish calendar every year. And next week we will hear an exciting talk about the prophetic significance of the Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles festival that we are celebrating just in a few weeks, exactly uh, three weeks of today. It will start in uh, the Kinneret at the Kinneret in uh, Kfar Nahum. So this is going to be an amazing uh, talk next week that will explain you the celebration of uh, Sukkot. And um, let's start with our webinar with the, with the uh, subject today. Um, let's talk about the Yom Kippur, uh, the Day of Atonement. But before we do this, let us pray and inquire the blessing of the Lord on this time together. Father, we thank you for your presence, that it is with us today. We thank you that your anointing is uh, with me to share the word of God. And I pray in particular for everybody who is watching and listening to this webinar, that you might anoint the lips of everyone to hear what the Spirit of God has to say to us. I ask this in the powerful and in the mighty name of Yeshua. So welcome again for this uh, webinar. Uh, welcome wherever you are joining us. I know there will be again people joining us from around the world, from um, Asia and from Europe. Uh, I trust there are people again with us from uh, Malaysia and Taiwan and China and of course many European countries. So welcome again. We speak about Yom Kippur. Uh, Yom Kippur is the uh, most sacred day in the Jewish calendar. And we can read about the uh, celebration of uh, Yom Kippur in quite a number of passages in the Bible, but I want to uh, refer you in today's uh, webinar to two particular passages. One is uh, Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23, which is the chapter that speaks about all the autumn holidays, about all the holidays during the year. It starts with Shabbat, the spring holidays, and then of course the autumn holidays that start with the Feast of uh, Trumpets. And then it says here in verse 26 in Leviticus chapter 23, Leviticus 23 verse 26, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, now on the 10th day of this seventh month, that's the month that is just coming in a few days here in Israel. <coughs> Please excuse me. This is the day of atonement, Yom Kippur. That's the Hebrew word. It shall be for you a time of holy convoc convocation and you shall afflict yourself and present a food offering to the Lord. And you shall not do any work on this very day, for it is Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whoever is not afflicted on that very day shall be cut off from his people. And whoever does any work on that very day, that person I will destroy among his people. You shall not do any work. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest and you shall afflict yourself. On the ninth day of the month beginning at evening, that's Erev Yom Kippur, the evening before Yom Kippur, from evening to evening you shall keep your Sabbath. And it says here it's a Sabbath of solemn rest. 
and you can translate this in the Hebrew as a the Sabbath of complete rest, but it's actually literally in Hebrew it's called the Shabbat Shabbaton. It's the it's the Shabbat of the Shabbats. There is a similar expression for the Holy of Holies, where the Lord called it's the the uh, Kadosh Kodeshim. It's the the Holy of the Holies. So this is the Sabbath of the Sabbaths, the greatest holiday in the uh, Jewish calendar. Now I want to make a few introductory notes on that holiday before we go into uh, the theology behind it. Uh, Yom Kippur is still today a very solemn day here in Israel. If you live in Israel you will see that um, they did different uh, opinion polls in the nation of Israel and they found out that even among the secular people, even people who might be even atheistic, they see this as a part of their Jewish tradition and they keep a fast on the day. They estimate today that 70 to 80 percent, if not more, of the population here in Israel is fasting on the day, even though the Bible actually doesn't speak about fasting in particular. But as we have read here in Leviticus chapter 23, uh, the Lord asked the people to humble themselves, to afflict their soul. And the way how the rabbis explain that this is uh, to be seen is that through a day of fast, that from the evening, from Erev Yom Kippur, it's around four, five, five o'clock in the afternoon, to uh, five, six o'clock the very next day, for 24, 25 hours to, to be precise, the Jewish people is holding a fast. They are meeting in the synagogues, they are praying. And uh, the weeks before, you heard this last week, our season is a season of preparation where every morning you can hear the shofar blowing in the synagogues where the people is getting ready to meet with God, to prepare their heart. There are slichot prayers, prayers where they ask the Lord for forgiveness, where they also reconciliate between neighbors and between friends. So it is a very unique time in the calendar of Israel. Now there is another passage um, that speaks at a little bit at greater length on Yom Kippur and you find this in the very same book that we have been reading from the book of Leviticus that's the third book of Moses in some languages and there in chapter 16 the entire chapter is dedicated for this uh, special day. I'm going to read a number of passages from chapter 16 because there is a very special message that is very important for us also as believers. If you open your Bible with me please in uh, Leviticus uh, chapter 16 it starts like that and the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and when they died and the Lord said to Moses tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time in the, to the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that they may not die for I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. So what's happening now is the detailed um, description and the detailed procedure that the Bible gives us what needs to take place on Yom Kippur. And just to give you a very brief summary, we know this is the only day in the year when the high priest went into the very Holy of Holies when there was still a temple here in Jerusalem and he was meeting with God, was asking for forgiveness for his people, was dedicating and sanctifying the whole temple again. And then there were two goats. One of them was slaughtered and the blood was brought right into the presence of the Lord. The other one, uh, he was laying his hands on that goat, confessing the sins of the entire nation of Israel over this goat. And this goat, which is in most translation called the scapegoat, um, it was the, the, the goat that was carrying the sins of the entire nation into the desert uh, to a person or to an, an individuum, an entity that was called Asael, Asael. And uh, this is today in common language in Israel. It's referred to like we would say devil or, or hell. Uh, if people are cursing other people, they say lechle asasel, go to hell, they mean with that. And this goat was literally sent to hell 
in replacement of all the people of Israel, all the sins of the nation of Israel were pronounced over this animal and it was sent into the desert uh, to uh, this demonic entity Azazel, which I believe it speaks of devil himself. And it was on that day where the God, where the Lord brought forth atonement for the entire people of Israel. So that's a, a short synopsis what was taking place on that day. And um, the interesting thing about that is that um, the Le book of Leviticus in chapter 16, it doesn't start that the Lord spoke to Moses, these are the things that you need to do on Yom Kippur, but it starts in a quite different term. And it says, this, the, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. In a way you can say, and that's what some rabbi, how some rabbis describe it, it's almost like an emergency plan that God set up after the death of those two priests. If you go to the Leviticus chapter 10, you will read there that uh, the two priests came into the very presence of the Lord and they came forth with strange fire. And because of that, they broke the commandment of the Lord regarding the tabernacles and regarding the way how you bring sacrifices. Uh, they both died immediately as they started to commit this inappropriate uh, entry into the presence of the Lord and defiled so the very sanctuary. And what God says here in, in Leviticus chapter 16, he says, I don't want these things to happen again. He says, therefore, this is the way how you need to enter into my presence. He says, because I'm going to appear at the very, as in a cloud right over the mercy seat that is standing there in the Holy of Holies. And he says, and there is a certain procedure how you need to enter into my presence. It says here, he says, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place. And it's quite interesting if you look what the, what the rabbis are saying. They say it doesn't actually mean that you cannot go at any time at the, uh, into the holy place, that there are only certain times when you can do it. But they say it's more about the manner how you are entering into the presence of the Lord. It says there are certain procedures that you need to fulfill when you enter into the into the presence of the Lord. Mitrash Rabbah on Leviticus says he may enter at any time he chooses, but there is a divine protocol. But there is a divine protocol. And when I was reading that, I couldn't help to think of the television imageries that we see today with the passing away of uh, Queen Elizabeth and the incredible protocol that is in place with the royal family in the United Kingdom. The way how people can approach the king or the queen and how they are being referred to. And the Lord says in a way, um, since I am the king of the whole earth, there is a protocol that you need to keep when you are entering into the presence of the Lord. In other words, you cannot just sloppily enter into my presence, but he says, yeah, I want you to think about it, that I'm a holy God, and I'm a God that is a, 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 a consuming fire, and there is a certain uh, protocol that needs to be taken. So this was the background of Yom Kippur. And of course, it dealt now with the story how the high priest would enter into the very presence of the Lord. And one of the most amazing things that you read in Leviticus chapter 16, that the majority of that text actually is not dealing so much with the act of atonement for the people of Israel. Um, the rabbis actually, some of them uh, agree that uh, from those two goats that were brought, only one is the one that is being uh, responsible for the uh, atone, atoning uh, action on that day. We read about that in verse 20 and the following, and let me read that passage to you. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of the meeting and the altar, he shall prefer, pre present the life goat. So this would be a sacrifice or it would be a, an act, uh, not with a killed goat, but a goat that remained alive. 
And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. And that's, by the way, also for the translators, I hope I'm not speaking too fast, but uh, it is Leviticus chapter 16, verse 20 to 22. Leviticus chapter 16, we will stay in that chapter quite some time now, verse 20 to 22. He shall confess with the hands, both hands on that goat, all the iniquities of the people of Israel, all their transgressions, all their sins, and he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all the iniquities on itself to a remote area and he shall let the goat go free into the wilderness. And this is the way that is so significant uh, on the day of uh, uh, atonement. The rabbis even said they will tying a rope on the head on the horns of that goat and as it was entering into the wilderness uh, the person who followed that god that goat this man of readiness how it is called here in the esv translation he would witness that gold goat and that scarlet uh, thread around the horns and he would see that at one stage, as he's on the way into the wilderness, uh, the scarlet would turn into white as a, as a supernatural sign that God in heaven accepted that gift and that the sins of the people of Israel are taken away by that goat. So this was the most important thing on that day. However, because of the introduction that uh, uh, this chapter 16 gives us here, the majority of the verses of that Yom Kippur actually are not de dealing so much with that one go that was taking the sins away into the wilderness, but it was dealing much more about the priest himself, about the sanctuary and about the sanctification of it. And let me continue reading about some of the protocols that needed to be kept on that very day of Yom Kippur. Again, in, in Leviticus chapter uh, 16, in, uh, at the end of verse 2, we read, and that's the motivation of it all, it says, you have to be careful because I, the holy God, I will appear in a cloud over the, uh, the mercy seat. And then it says, but in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place. That means God was giving through Moses now the divine protocol how to enter into the presence of the Lord, in particular on that Yom Kippur. Uh, this is the way how Aaron shall come into the holy place. Chapter 16, verse 3, with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. So he had to bring a, a, a bull and he had to bring a, a ram. And then verse 4, he shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen, the linen undergarment on his body and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. So we, we learned he had to bring a, um, a, a ram. He needed to bring a bowl, bull as a sacrifice. He needed to have a very special dress. It's very important to know this was not the high priestly dress that Moses was uh, carrying. It was a very special dress that Moses Aaron, the high priest, was, was wearing. But it was a very special dress that the high priest would wear only on that very day. It was a similar dress than all the priests, all the Levites were wearing. So there was no gold on it, no gemstone, no effort. It was a simple linen dress. It was one like all the other priests, how he entered into the presence of the Lord. And he shall bathe his body in water and then put this clothes on. So that means there was a special dress code. He had to purify himself. He had to bathe himself. And if you read Jewish tradition, you will learn there that in the Talmudic time of the temple, uh, that there was even a further requirement 
that the high priest had to separate himself for seven full days, an entire week before Yom Kippur, from his wife, from his entire family. And he would be kept away from any type of possible impurity that could inflict uh, this man. For seven days, you can say, he, we, we know this now very well ourselves, he was in lockdown, in quarantine, so to speak, and he was informed about very uh, detailed procedures that would be taking place in the days to come. So for seven days, the rabbis required in the time of the second temple, the high priest to be separated. And then in the night before Yom Kippur, on that very Erev Yom Kippur, when the day started, he was not allowed to speak. And there were priests around him and they were made sure that he would not fall asleep because they didn't well, they wouldn't want to allow that a nocturnal emission would depart from the high priest and in such a way render him unclean for service so priests were surrounding him they were reading scriptures when they realized that he wasn't dosing off and were falling asleep they were twisting their, their with their fingers to wake him up because they were not allowed to touch him because this again could defile him for the service on the next day so there was a whole procedure that made sure that the high priest was in a pure and holy condition when he was carrying out the ministry and then it says here in verse 5 and he shall take from the congregation of all the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering one ram for a burnt offering and Aaron shall put the bull as a sin offering for himself and he shall make atonement for himself and for his house. And what is coming now is very significant on that day of, of uh, atonement, on Yom Kippur, is that the majority of the verses that come now and that describe what is coming now actually had not so much to do with this one goat that brought atonement for all of Israel, but it had to do with the purification of the priesthood. The first thing that God says you need to do is to bring this bull as a sacrifice for the sins, not only for you, but for your whole house. And the rabbis agree when it speaks here about you and your whole house, it's not only speaking about his immediate family, but the whole house of Aaron. That means on that day he would bring forth a sin offering, first of all, for all the priesthood of Israel, for all the Levites, for everybody who was ministering in the temple. And one of the commentators write, and that writes, and he actually was a um, Jewish believer of the 19th century in the United Kingdom. He says, right in this action on the most holy day in Israel, you already can see the weakness of the first covenant, of the covenant with Moses. That there was something that was not perfect because the officiating priests were not perfect themselves. They needed to bring a sacrifice for themselves. And it's not only appearing here on that passage, but there's actually there are quite a number of passages that speak about the, the sin of the sanctuary, the sin that is carried in by the priests into the holy place. I just want to read one passage to you from Exodus chapter 28. Exodus chapter 28, verse 36 and verse 38. Uh, 36 to verse uh, 38. And it, it, we read here the following. And you shall um, make a plate of pure gold. You shall engrave on it a signet that is called holy unto the Lord. And you shall fasten on the turban uh, a, a cord of blue on the turban. And it shall be on the front of the turban, and it shall be on Aaron's forehead. And Aaron shall bear the guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as holy gift. It shall regularly be on his forehead, that they might be accepted before the Lord. That means the priest Aaron, when he was entering into the temple, he was wearing a special turban. 
and on this turban and on this gold plate and it was written Kadosh le Adonai holy to the Lord and he says by doing that he was actually carrying bearing the guilt of the holy things of the people of Israel that they consecrate to him now what is the guilt what are those impurity those defilement those sins that might be connected with the holy things this might have to do maybe with the very motivation how the priests were entering into the very presence of the Lord. The motivation that people might have had when they bring those offerings at the first place might have had to do with the way how the sacrifice is being officiated. We read that in Numbers chapter 10, how the two sons of Aaron come in an inappropriate way with strange fire, not a fire that is lit on the altar where there was an eternal fire in the temple, but a fire that was lit by themselves in their own strength and they brought it into the presence of the Lord and the Lord intervened on that. And you might be very easily tempted to say, well, this was the weakness of the old covenant. But let us go to Philippians chapter 1, the letter of Paul to the church in Philippi chapter 1. Um, and let's read there Philippians chapter 1, verse 17. And he says, he says, um, Sorry, this is the book of Colossians. Here we are in Philippians chapter 1, verse 17. And uh, start reading already from uh, verse 15, actually. So we will see it actually has to do with people that are even serving in the new covenant, the kingdom of God. He says, some indeed preach, he's speaking about preachers. Some preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter, the latter do it out of love. And verse 17, but the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What Paul says, there might be even people who carry the holy things of the kingdom of God, of the altar, of the service, the presence of the God, of God to the, uh, the service to the people of God with selfish ambition. You will hear the same uh, admonishment from uh, Paul in the same book to the Philippians, chapter 2, it's, uh, chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Or a little bit further down, for as he commends his uh, very servant Timothy, that yes, there's nobody like him, for I have none like him, verse 20, he says, that's Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, I have none like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. So we see even in the church today, there might be impurity of the sanctuary. There might be false motivations why people want to serve the Lord. And there's no reason to point the finger today to anybody. But I believe this is a time also for all of us where if we go into introspection for ourselves and ask ourselves, what is the very motivation why I am serving the Lord? Do I ask what is in there for me? Or do we serve the Lord out of a pure heart of dedication, out of a will of service to the Lord. And um, this is the main theme of Leviticus chapter 19, that he was dealing, uh, chapter 16, that it was dealing with those sins of the sanctuary where God recognized, he says, even though they come out in beautiful outward appearance with their beautiful garments, but there might be still sin involved in the way how they are approaching my presence. And God says, before you really can atone for the sin of the whole nation, you first need to atone for the very sins of yourself. That means the high priest himself, the most holy person of Israel, so to speak, needed to atone first for his own sins. And what we see here in, in, in the book of Hebrews in chapter 5, in the book of Hebrews in chapter 5, uh, we read about that, that um, also in the New Testament, and I think throughout generation it was acknowledged that the priesthood was a priesthood that was 
afflicted with the very same weaknesses like everybody on this world. It says here in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 1, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of man in relationship to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices, and he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. And that means the word of God makes it very clear that even the most holy ministers of the kingdom of God who serve the purposes of God, also they are beset with weaknesses, with sins, with iniquities. And because of that, they need to bring forth atonement for their own sins. And in Hebrews chapter 7, um, he he uh, uh, highlights that uh, that very point, and he contrasts to that Jesus, the very high priest who is serving for us. For it says, "For indeed it was fitting." That's Hebrews chapter seven, verse twenty-six. Hebrews chapter seven, verse twenty-six. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. For he, that is Jesus, verse 27, he has no need um, like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins. We just read that on Yom Kippur, the high priest first needed to bring the sacrifice for his own sin, first for their own sins and then for those of the people. For he did this once for all when he offered himself. And uh, now the point is, he says, that we have today a high priest who is seated on the right hand of the throne of majesty, a minister of the holy places, of the true tent that is set up with no man, with, uh, by God and not with man. And it's quite interesting, this very same chapter, this is the beginning of chapter 8 that I was just reading, chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, the very same chapter 8 uh, instructs us here, that already the Old Testament, already the Tanakh, is speaking about the weakness of this covenant that God made with Israel on, um, uh, on Mount Sinai. And we read this in chapter 8 here, um, verse 7, uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7, For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Now, if you are Jewish and listening to that, you might say, well, this is New Testament theology, or this is only some thoughts that came through the Christians. But he says, the Bible, the Tanakh, the prophets themselves, they find fault with the covenant. We read this in Hebrews 7, verse 8, and he's quoting now Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31, and the following. But I'm reading it from Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel. And he says, It will not be a covenant like the covenant I made with the fathers when I took them out of the hand of Egypt because they broke this covenant. But he says, I'm going to do a new covenant. This will be the covenant. I will write my laws on their hearts. And that means the Bible already in the old covenant recognized that the system was imperfect. Even on the most holy day when the nation was coming before God and needed atonement, the very priesthood of Israel needed first of all to have atonement for their own life, for their own priesthood in Israel. And uh, there is no reason for any finger pointing. We have seen from the letter of Philippians that this is exactly the same also in churches and in the kingdom of God. We need to look at ourselves. What is our very motivation to serve the Lord? And we might have to come ourselves again and again to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive us because we need a fresh start in the way how we even carry out our service uh, before the King of Kings. When we compare that with, with, uh, with Jesus himself, we have seen this in Philippians chapter 2. It says many are ministering with selfish ambition, but there in Philippians chapter 2, he contrasts to that the very person of Yeshua. And he says here in verse 2, verse, in chapter 2, uh, verse 5, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, have this mind amongst, among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, 
did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death, and yes, even to death on the cross. That means when Jesus walked here on this earth, there was no selfish ambition on him. Everything that he did was in love for you and for myself. The Bible says he was the blameless Lamb of God. He was the blameless, the innocent high priest who was serving mankind. And he was not only forsaking the glory that he had with the Father, showing his incredible selflessness, but we read in chapter in chapter 13 of the book of, of the Gospel of John that even in that night it says when he knew everything was handed over to him by the Father. He didn't glory in his position with the Father. He didn't glory in the fact that he was the Son of God. The Bible says in John chapter 13, he took this servant clothes and he put it, wrapped it around him, and he was walking one by one to the disciples, and he was washing the very feet of the disciples of Jesus. So Jesus is the master example of us for a high priest, who doesn't need to atone for himself, but who was walking that blameless, that selfless life on here on earth that was even ready to follow us, to follow and to serve us all the way to the death on the cross. So there is this whole procedure how the high priest needed to bring forth atonement for him, needed to bring forth atonement for his uh, fellow priests and Levites. And we can, we can read that in following chapter. He needed to go through every single vessel to every single instrument in the Holy of Holies, in the holy place. He needed to sprinkle each one of them with the blood of this bull. And then he had to go in and, and take that one lamb, sacrifice it, come back into the holy place, do the very same thing. And it was all focused about sanctifying the holy place from the sins that might have committed been committed there. And this might not have been pure radical sins, sexual sins. This could be sins of false intentions, sins of selfish ambition, sins of arrogance, of pride against people, maybe even against God. And before, God, before the high priest could atone for the people, he first needed to atone for himself. And what a blessing that is, that we have a high priest in Yeshua who didn't have to bring that sacrifice for him, but he was the pure high priest and sacrifice himself that was taking away the sins of the world. Now let's speak about the second part and the most important part on that day of atonement. And that is the uh, second goat that was being brought forth that later on ended up in the desert, the goat Le Azazel. And uh, this little prefix Le, um, in Hebrew, most of the times it's actually referred to as four. This is uh, Le Azazel, you could translate it easily as four Azazel, but rabbis make it very clear that this is more a possessive prefix. That means it's a prefix, it's a syllable that, ex that explains the possession who does this lamb or who does this goat actually belongs to? And they make it clear this actually was Asasel's goat. This belonged to him. He actually had a right on that goat. And that's very important for us to understand today because what's happening with that goat is that Aaron, we were reading here in chapter 16, verse um, 18, he says, and then he shall go and make atonement for it and he shall... Uh, excuse me, chapter 20, uh, chapter 16, verse 20, that's uh, Leviticus chapter 16, uh, verse 20, and he shall make an end of the atoning for the high places and the tent of the meeting, and then Aaron shall lay, and that's verse 21, both his hands on the head of the life goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel, their transgressions and all their sins. That means the whole sin of the whole nation will put on those poor goat. She had to carry the sin of all of Israel on that day. And for that reason, 
Azazel, the devil, Satan, had a right to claim that goat for himself because this was the goat that was taking the blame, so to speak, for all the sins that were committed in Israel. In other words, we need to understand that sin is something very, something, something very sincere that we need to take seriously. Uh, Paul says that the, the price, the, va the wages of sin is nothing else than death himself because by committing sins in this world we are actually uh, putting us in the rightful ownership of Satan and his fellows. And we read this for example in, 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 in John chapter 14 verse 13. John chapter 14 verse 30. Uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples just a few moments before he's heading out towards Gethsemane. He says, the hour has come and the prince of this world is coming now. But he says, he has no claim in me. Jesus was the pure, the pure and perfect lamb of God. He was the high priest that didn't commit any sin. John chapter 14 verse 13, 30, Jesus says, Satan has no claim on him. And even though the whole sins of the whole world were resting upon Yeshua on that day when he carried them onto the cross, they didn't really stick to him because there was nothing in it in him that made them stick to Yeshua. He was a pure uh, and a holy uh, being. And then this he goat that was led and that, that carried the sins of the nation it says it's a very interesting passion passage and it says here in the second part of verse 21 and he shall put all the sins on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in his readiness the goat shall bear the iniquities on itself to a remote area and he shall let the go the goat go free into the wilderness. So this goat was sent not to any place but it was just outside Jerusalem. If you followed the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives you will see there a rather sharp line which separates the green areas of Israel going down to the Mediterranean to the eastern slopes of the hill that come from the east of Jerusalem and that are going down into the Jordan Valley. You can say the very city of Jerusalem is the borderline between Greenland, Pastureland and the desert because on the east side of Jerusalem as you go down the descent from Male Adumim down to the Jordan Valley down to the Dead Sea uh, you will enter into a desert area and that was exactly the place where this goat was carrying away the sins of the whole nation of Israel. Some of the rabbis say that the goat was taken and even pushed down a cliff and then somewhere there in the wilderness the scarlet thread around the horns of that goat turned white as a recognition that the sins of the people of Israel have been atoned for. Now you might ask why is this uh, um, goat sent into the wilderness? And I think the very easy and straightforward answer to that question is, is because the wilderness is the habitation of Azazel. There are quite a number of passages in the Bible that, that speak about the desert land as a place of devastation, about of emptiness of man. And that Jesus even himself, when he was casting out demons in Luke chapter 11, verse 24, Luke chapter 11, verse 24, he says, when they are being cast out, they are roaming around and they are entering into waterless desert areas. That means this seems to be the natural habitat of demonic forces and, uh, and uh, the wilderness. And you read similar passages also if you want to study it further at home. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 6. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 6. And also verse 15. Chapter 51, verse 53, Jeremiah 51, verse 53, if you want to read that a little bit further at home. But uh, the desert and the wilderness have been the abode of demons and of all kinds of wicked uh, pieces and, uh, and uh, creatures in the Bible. 
And there this was sent into the wilderness to Azazel, to the person, to the being that had a claim on that goat because of the sins that were laying upon that goat. And by doing that, he was carrying away the, the penalty of that. As I said before, the penalty of sin is death, is eternal damnation, is eternal separation from God. And in a way, this goat that was brought to Azazel represents that, that sin that is uh, not atoned for, actually Satan has a claim over your life. And that's why the Bible speaks so often about eternal damnation. And this day of atonement shows us this beautiful way how we can escape the damnation of the Lord, in particular of the, of the enemy. In particular, as today, we know the Lamb of God that carried away the sins of the world. Now, I want to, speak, want to highlight three very interesting uh, verbs that you will find here in this little passage that I was reading to you about that scapegoat. Uh, the very first uh, word that I want to read is that it says here, this, uh, this goat shall bear all their iniquities, verse 22. The goat shall bear all their iniquities. And this word uh, bear, nasa, this is actually appearing again, uh, the exact same word in a very well-known passage in Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53, it is the passage of the suffering servant, servant a passage that there's no better passage that explains what happened 2,000 years ago at the cross of Calvary. And there in Isaiah chapter 53, in verse 4, we read uh, the following. Isaiah chapter uh, 53, verse 4. One second, please. Surely he has borne our griefs, he has carried our, our, our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, but he was pierced for our transgression, crushed for our iniquity. He has borne our graves, and actually quite interestingly, uh, it says he born, it's the very same word, Nassar, that is, you can find also in Leviticus, he bore the sins of the people. He says he bore our graves and our sorrows. And what it actually means, the word graves, is the word chole, he, he carried our sicknesses. That means there at, at Calvary, Jesus was bearing like this goat in the desert was bearing the consequences of sin for us. The very same uh, verb uh, uh, Nassar appears again in verse 12 in Isaiah chapter 53. He says, therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he pulled out his soul to death and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many. Again, here it is that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was carrying your and my sin. This was the great of the day of atonement for humanity, where they could get right with God because he was burying on his shoulders the sin of mankind, the sins of the whole world. There is a very, another very interesting passage uh, that needs to be mentioned, or very interesting verb that needs to be mentioned here, or, or word actually, it's not a word itself, it's not a verb, but a, uh, a noun, uh, or an adjective actually, an adjective. Um, uh, he shall bear all their iniquities for itself to a remote area, to a remote area. And this word, uh, remote, it's the word in Hebrew called Gesara. And this word, interestingly enough, appears again in uh, the book of, of, uh, of Isaiah chapter 53. The word Gesara actually means not so much remote, but it means a cut-off area. He will come to a place that is cut off from humanity. That means the fate of that uh, scapegoat was to be cut off from the blessings of God, to be cut off from the life of the living, to be cut off from the people of God, living with the sins and with the guilt of the people in that desert belonging to Azazel. It's a, a very tragic 
fate that was uh, meeting uh, this very he-goat. And in Isaiah chapter 53 in verse 8, it's quite interesting. The same world appears again. By oppression and judgment he's taken away. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 8. And for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living and stricken for the transgression of my people. That means it's exactly the same word that was used for the goat that was sent into the wilderness. He said it was cut off, gassar, uh, the goat was sent into a gassara, makum gassara, into a place that was cut off from the light, of, from, the, light, uh, from uh, the, the, the world of the living. And he was in such a way bearing the sin of mankind. And that means we see here that Jesus was indeed the Lamb of God, that it's not just the Passover Lamb, but He is the Lamb that was being brought on that great day of atonement and brought forth the atonement of many. Now there are two more points that I would like uh, to make in this last minutes uh, of our webinar today. There's of course much more that can be shared on Yom Kippur. But it says here we have been going in, in Leviticus chapter 16 through the various procedures of that day. We saw in the beginning it actually had to do with the very process of entering into the Holy of Holies. And we need to really take that serious also as believers. The one sign the book of Hebrews says, therefore we now have great confidence to enter into the presence of the Lord because Jesus paid the price for us. But at the same time, the very same writer of the letter of the Hebrews, he says, but never forget that also our Lord is a consuming fire. And I believe it was just referring very much to what took place, that consuming fire that brought judgment to Nadif and Abihu, those two priests that entered with strange fire into the very presence of God. And he says, make sure that, yes, we can enter freely at any time, at any circumstance in the presence of God, but we have to make sure that we are standing right with God, that we are under the blood of Yeshua, that we know there is somebody who cared for our sins and for our iniquities. And there's one more thing that I want to share with you about the high priest. Now we have seen he was uh, bringing forth an atonement for himself, for the priestly family, for all the equipment that was being used in the temple. And then finally he was sending that he goat into the desert with a scarlet thread around the head. And he was sending this off with all the sins carrying on the shoulders on the back of this poor goat into the wilderness. And then it says, and the goat shall bear, in verse 22, chapter 16, verse, uh, the book of Leviticus, verse 22, the goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to the remote area. He shall let it go free into the wilderness. And then Aaron shall come into the tent of the meeting and he shall take off the linen garments. And then he put on when he went into the and he put on when he went into the holy place and he shall leave them there. And he shall bath his body in water in a holy place and put on his own garments and come out and offer his burnt offering and burnt offerings of all the people and make atonement for him. Now it's quite interesting that um, the, the Talmud describes this procedure that the high priest was waiting in the holy place uh, until he got a word from a messenger that came back from the desert. And he came back with the good news. He says, God accepted our sacrifice. The scarlet thread on the horns of that, of that goat turned white. Our sins have been forgiven. And when this messenger arrived, I believe, first of all, there was a big wave of relief coming over the whole people. But secondly, also, this meant a further action for the high priest. He needed to put out his clothes, this linen cloth. Remember, it was not his own priestly garment, but he was just one like all the other priests. You couldn't really distinguish him from any of the people. And now was the point when he bathed himself again and when he put on the royal robe and then he would enter back into the presence of the Lord and he would bring sacrifices. And the Talmud says there were 
quite a number of sacrifices. Most of them were incense sacrifices. The whole place inside the Holy of Holies was filled with the incense of the Lord when the high priest was there. And I want you to remember that I was reading you this passage from Hebrews chapter 8. He says, when Jesus brought forth that sacrifice, he not only overcame death, but he went straight to the Father. Bible actually says that's a whole nother point. He went even for three days into this very realm of Satan, of, the, of hell himself, and tasted death for all of us. And after three days, he was resurrected. And then he went up to the Father, seated at the right hand of God. And what's happened now in the heavenly places, I believe Jesus, and that's what the book of Revelation tells us, he put back on his royal garments, like the high priest put now back on his high priestly garments. We see Jesus today seated at the right hand of the Father in all his glory and in all his majesty. He's sitting there, seated there, at the right hand of the throne and is doing with the same very same thing that the high priests were doing in the temple they were bringing forth incense offerings to the lord and here we see jesus seated at the right hand of the father interceding for you and for me praying for us praying for the people of god and that's the ministry of jesus because he was that sinless high priest he entered into the very presence of god right at the right hand of the father and since then he's interceding for all the believers around the world he's interceding there even right now for you as you are listening and watching this program he knows better than you know what you are needing and he's talking about your issues with the father in heaven and like the high priest put back on his royal garments so Jesus is seated now with all his glory, with all the powers, everything put under his feet and is interceding for the church there. And then the book of Hebrews says one more thing, because once the high priest finished that duty, he returned back to the people. And the Bible says, or the Talmud says, uh, that was a day of great celebration because they succeeded the day of, of, of atonement. He invited guests to his home, the Talmud says, and they all celebrated on the completion of this most solemn day. And here the word of God makes a beautiful parallel. We read here in Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26. Let me read that to you. Um, let's, let's, let's start reading. Yeah, no, let's, let's start reading from verse 26. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly. Let me read from verse 25. Excuse me. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 25. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with the blood, not of his own, for when he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the Lord. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away the sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed, now listen to that, just as it is appointed for a man to die once and after that comes the judgment, so Christ also has been offered once to bear the sin uh, of many. He will appear a second time. Now, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And as the high priest entered the very presence of the Lord and brought forth all those incense offerings in this beautiful royal garment, the people of Israel would know he would come out, this time not with his white garment like every other priest. Jesus became one like us, like everybody else. But he would come out once more in the beautiful royal garments of a high priest. And that's what Hebrews said. He entered once for atonement of sins for us into the very presence of the Lord. And he came out, proclaimed at the end of the days the salvation of mankind. But then he says he will come out a second time. This second time he will not deal with our sins, but he will come as the Redeemer. He will come as the expected King. He will come as the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, the Lord of the universe, when he comes back to take the throne forever and ever. And we shall be 
reigning with him. And this is in a way the message of Yom Kippur that like the high priest, he once entered into the presence of the Lord, he brought forth this incredible uh, sacrifice. There was a time when he was went back into the very holy of holies where he was uh, bringing forth incense offering, praying for the nation in the same way Jesus is interceding for us. And then he came out again and it was a great day of rejoicing for the whole people. And I believe that's exactly what we are waiting for, that one day Jesus will come out again of the very tent of the tabernacle of God in heaven. He will put his feet on the Mount of Olives and we will see him and we will see this incredible salvation that is awaiting everybody that knows that their sins are covered and washed by the blood of Yeshua. And let me pray with you at this moment. There might be even people here on this call today you might say, Jürgen, I do not know um, what will happen to me if I would die today. Uh, if you are not sure if Satan still has a claim over your life. And please allow me that I pray with you today. If you want to say today that you want to uh, accept this very sacrifice that Yeshua brought for you at the cross of Calvary 2000 years ago, I want you that you follow me in my prayer and say, Lord, please save me even today on this 15th of September 2022. Father, we thank you for your world today. We thank you that you are our blameless, our, our, our faultless, our pure high priest that entered into the very presence of the Lord with your own blood and you thus atoned for our sins. The sins of this world, my sins, the sins of every person was put upon you. And Father, I ask you even today that as people are listening to this program, that in faith they put their hand on that divine heavenly he-goat, that they roll their sins over to him and says, I cannot deal with it anymore, but you take it, you take it to Azazel, you take the judgment upon you. And Father, we thank you that you sent your son, that he took our sins upon the cross, he actually took the judgment that we deserved, and therefore we can live today. Father, we ask you that this day today will be a day of salvation, that this will be a day where we thank again for the incredible purification that you accomplished for us on Calvary, that you shed the blood for every person that believes in you. And we thank you also that one day you will come back as King of Kings, as Lord of Lords, and as the Almighty Lord. We praise you for that. And we thank you for that in the powerful and in the mighty name of Yeshua. Now this concludes our webinar today on Yom Kippur, I believe. And I hope that this was a blessing for you, that there were some new things maybe that you could have learned today about this incredible holiday that is just a few weeks ahead of us. And I wish you God's mighty blessings. Here from Jerusalem next week, we will have with us David Parsons, who will speak about the prophetic significance of the Feast of Tabernacles, why we celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And this will be an amazing webinar. You don't want to miss that. Those of you who know David Parson, he's an excellent Bible teacher. I personally have learned so much from him. I look forward to seeing you next week at the webinar or at the Global Prayer Gathering on Wednesday. God bless you.